0: All right, welcome to Joey Ely's Life Trip Podcast, episode four. In today's episode, I'm featuring my first guest, and her name is Roberta Grimes. And Roberta has been an active afterlife researcher for the past 50 years. She has studied extensively the phenomenon of near-death experiences, and that led her on a journey to discover what actually happens to us after we die. And what she discovered is that the afterlife is actually true life and it is where we come from it is our home and it is a place of wonderful love wonderful joy wonderful peace and wonderful fun and to have this knowledge in a world that is full of pain and uncertainty is beyond valuable because we can begin to re-approach our daily problems in a new light of equanimity And we can also begin to remember our highest purpose for coming to this planet, which is to progress our souls through learning how to love. So I welcome and invite you to join in on this wonderful conversation that I had with Roberta Grimes. She's such a beautiful lady and is so full of wisdom and knowledge. And her message really inspires hope and optimism for the future. So with that said, I really hope you enjoy our conversation. We get into a lot of amazing topics. We even talk about some of the science behind the afterlife. And we were able to address some things for people who might be critical or skeptical of the afterlife. So I really hope you enjoy it. And if you really want to support me and you like what I'm doing with this show and you're finding some relevant information that's helping you in your life, I would be so appreciative if you could help support the show by liking, subscribing and sharing with your friends and family and anybody else. I've put in a lot of time, money and effort into producing this, and I want to give you the best that I can. So I appreciate all of you. And with that said, I'll take you on to the episode. Here's Roberta Grimes. Well, thank you so much for uh, for uh, accepting my request to, to be on my podcast. Uh, you're actually my first guest ever.
1: Oh, no, really?
0: Oh, <laughs> you I'll, are.
1: Oh, the pressure. I'm sorry. Well, oh, the... <laughs> I'll do my best.
0: Yeah, well, it's a laid back podcast and it's just me and uh, talking about my life and my experiences in spirituality and health and wellness. And uh, so I'm excited to have you as my first guest here. Um if you could, I know your background, but for anybody who's going to be listening, uh, do you mind sharing a little bit about your background?
1: Whatever you want me to say, I'm happy to say.
0: Yeah. So go ahead and yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, um, I was a perfectly normal person until I was eight, at which point um, I had an experience of light. Uh, what happened was, uh, and this was in April of 1955, which shows you I am not young, <laughs> but I woke up in the middle of the night, and I knew there was no God. And for a small child, that's a scary prospect. So I was terrified. And in the middle of the room, at that point, there was a bright flash of light, as white as burning magnesium, just a flash. But I, because of that flash, I remember... how how that room was set up to this day. I remember the awful wallpaper, everything. And a voice said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. Uh... Now, when you're eight, everything is surprising, so, so really nothing is. I just thought it was handy that if you forget there's a God, they'll remind you, and I went back to sleep. But I expected I'd just hear about it. I never told anybody, of course. You don't. People who have these experiences don't talk about them. Right. But I kept expecting to hear about it in Sunday school or in school or somewhere. And I never asked questions, so I never got an answer. And uh, finally, when it was time to go to college, I majored in early Christian history just thinking that if you major in early Christian history, they'll tell you what happens if you forget there's a God. They'll tell you what that voice is and all that. But of course, never asked a question, never got an answer. And I was getting pretty discouraged by the time I was 20. And I was, I came home from a summer job, sat down on my bed, and bright daylight this time, and i feeling very bad, feeling very glum about what I was gonna do with a, <laughs> a major in religious you know, studies. And over my right shoulder and splashing in the room was the same light, this time with beautiful music accompanying it, and the same voice said, I will never leave you. And that's what made me know that even though I had been very young at the time, that had been a real experience. So I set out then to try to understand what had happened to me because, of course, it had to happen to other people. I couldn't believe I was the only one who'd ever had that happen. But... Uh, And there are some experiences of light in the Bible. There are two that most people know about at least, but still, I wanted to know. And I figured it was, it came from wherever the dead are. Why I thought that, I don't know, but it seemed to be the case. So I spent the next 50 years studying death in the afterlife. That was my all consuming hobby.
0: And then on the side with that, you also became an attorney for businesses, correct?
1: Oh, sure. Yes, you have to have a day job, but <laughs> yes. and so that was my day job, and I got married and had children and lived a normal life. but this was just my obsessive you know study there are there is a lot a lot of afterlife evidence most people, especially back then, weren't interested in researching it because what if you what if you did the research and you found out there is nothing that happens after death? You blink out like a light. And then you had to live the rest of your life knowing that was all there was i mean that would be terrible and i think that's why a few people have done this research but i already knew that there was more because of those experiences and therefore uh, i was uh i was very happy to do the research and it turns out that it's all far more wonderful than any religion or anybody has ever ever told you
0: i 100 percent agree with you on that and yeah i never thought about it that way like why you know, research afterlife stuff, because if you're going to, like, you know, find out that there's nothing in the afterlife, then you're going to spend every day just in anxious dread. of That's like, right. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're gonna, you're I mean, gonna
1: try. It, it is scary if you're not sure, but I already was sure. So I feel as if I kind of cheated in a way.
0: Yeah, yeah. People who who know about, you know, the afterlife research and they know about near-death experiences, at least for me, that was one of the biggest things because I always had a belief in God and I always had you know, some sort of, uh, you know, just general knowing that we don't, nothing stops after we die. But on the tail end of that, I was also just like, I kind of had some, I felt anxious about just like not knowing that there's like not actual proof, you know, so coming across uh, afterlife research actually allowed me to have a real, like a huge sense of peace with Life in general, which is funny enough, because like knowing about death gives us more peace with life, and I think that's that's true. Yeah, that's 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 true. It's an amazing thing. So you've studied this for fifty years, and that (laughs) that is astounding to me, and that is remarkable. It's beautiful, and I'm so happy to have a person like you who is who's been able to do that. And this actually leads me to one question for you: Um, in your fifty years of study how how much would you like how 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 much do you feel that you actually know about the afterlife in general do you feel like you're just scratching the surface I mean obviously you have you know we go on and we have peace and love and it's a very beautiful thing so that fills up I think the biggest hole but um Do you uh do you feel like you're just kind of scratching the surface with this stuff, or do you feel like you grasp with it? I think I
1: know a lot about it. The thing about it is that the the evidence is very, very, very consistent. I mean, if there was a a, a sort of a school of evidence that said uh, that in the afterlife we uh, we float around uh, on clouds, and then there was another thread of evidence that said, no, we live as if it's we we even think we're here. It's just like here. And I mean, if it was all different then I think I would be concerned and I would be trying to find well, what really goes on. But the evidence is all perfectly consistent. Um, I say in The Fun of Dying, uh, it's like reading hundreds of accounts. When, when you read these early 20th century communications, which to me are the best evidence of life after death, it's, it's, it's like reading hundreds of accounts by people who have been to Fiji. You're going to Fiji. You'd like to know what it's like. And, and they're all talking about the same place. And they've been going for 100 years. So it's, it, it's, things are different at different times. And, but it's the same process, the same physics, the same pastimes, the same details. You know, how what, what do they eat? You know, how do they dress? What do they do? All of these things are, are it's, a, a gig, it's like if, if someone were to come to Earth, they would have all kinds of different experiences, and, and we know, no two accounts would be alike, but you begin to realize they were kind of in the same place. Oh, People talk, they have okay. three meals a day, they all go to a job, there are roads. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's, I have the same sense of certainty about the afterlife as I have about life on Earth.
0: That is so awesome. That is wonderfully worded by you. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's really that simple. That makes complete sense here. All right, so I have another question. Is How do you approach somebody who would be skeptical of afterlife phenomenon? And uh, what 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 do you tell them that might make them, you know, it could be a person who has, you know, a need for like scientific proof. Uh, what what do you usually tell these types of people?
1: I don't um, because if someone, I mean, a lot of people have a lot of different beliefs, um, religious beliefs. Um, science is just another religion. They have beliefs about that. And if someone is in their own, you know, religion, if you're a Methodist, you're trying to convince a Catholic that the Methodism is right. You just can't do it. Right. But the time comes in most people's lives when They are confronted with death, and it alarms them. It frightens them. It opens them to the possibility of that if there is if there's information about this, I want to know. Either it was, it's it's a a friend's or a loved one's death, child's death, a pet's death. You would not believe how many times I hear from people who have lost a dog or a cat. When you get a puppy, everyone, um, please know, at most, it's going to live 15 years. So predictably it's going to die, but a lot of people find it shocking when when a, when a dog dies, especially. but but anyway, I don't open the conversation. When people come to me or email me and ask the question, then I can give the answer. Then sometimes they'll say, "But what about this, but what about that?" And I explain how it fits with the science that we know. Um The problem with the science that we know is that it's very limited. But smoothly on that, with that, intermixed with that, is the science of what we don't know. It all comes together beautifully.
0: Right, right, exactly. And, and one of the thoughts that occurred in my mind is, is, why don't scientists support more funding of studies of the afterlife? I, I had uh, come across Dr. Eben Alexander, which I know you're, you're probably very familiar with. Um, Uh And also Dr. Jeffrey Long, who had kind of like addressed certain things to different scientists who thought that the problem of near-death experiences uh, was that these people were hallucinating um, or they were having some sort of chemical experience in the brain that was causing the hallucinations. And I remember Dr. Jeffrey Long, he was explaining vivid accounts of different people who had died in the operating room, but had floated above their body and out of the room. And they were able to report back to the doctors when they came back to life. Like I heard one and uh, I actually heard this one on your show where uh, this, this girl had died and told uh, uh, everybody that there was a pair of blue shoes on the roof of the hospital and they went and found the blue shoes. So that in my mind is obviously an indicator that something very strange is going on and it's not happening, happening within the physical body. So that had kind of, you know, those sorts of things, when I hear about those, I'm like, this, is, this should be sparking more interest from the scientific community. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, two things. First, before I answer that question, um, I think it's important for your listeners to understand that if someone is talking to you about their near-death experience, that person has never died. Death is always a one-way trip. No one who has an NDE and comes back and tells the tale has been to where the dead are. In fact, in a near-death experience, very often, if it's an extensive one, um, the the person who is experiencing that near-death experience will be told, a voice will come that will say, all right, you are approaching the place where the dead are. If you continue forward, you will die and you will not be able to return. We think you should go back, and then they turn around and go back. But it's impossible to come back from death. So, which is why near-death experiences are all so different. The experiences are different um, in in many, in quality, in details, in what happens. They're all tailored to the individual experiencer, and often they're pulled from the experiencer's mind. There's nothing religious about the afterlife or about the process, but many NDEs are religious because the person's religious they don't want to you know make that person feel strange about anything so um that's the first thing i think it's important to know ndes are very important evidence you you just pointed out one of the wonderful ways that they're good evidence because these people are traveling out of their bodies and these people go to the astral plane which is a gigantic that's really our eternal home the astral plane but it's not the afterlife um, so uh, so w- w- you're asking me why scientists don't look at that? Because science is also a religion. It is. It has been a religion for at least a hundred years. In the early part of the twentieth century, when there, we were getting all these wonderful communications from people we used to think were dead, through deep trance mediums uh, and, and other kinds of physical mediums, nothing, nothing like it happens now. But back then, it was excellent, and there are reasons why it happened then and not now. But um, back then, scientists were being given. A lot of this stuff and they were being asked to explain it and they couldn't and they didn't want to even look into it because it was at the same time that that dr max planck and his cohort were coming up with quantum mechanics they were dealing with that and then they what you want to talk about the dead too bridge too far so what they did was to establish materialism is what they called the fundamental dogma of science anything with a dogma is a religion But that's what it became. Basically, they turned science into the religion of materialism. And they will not study anything related to what we're talking about, even though it's even more real than what we see around us. They won't look at it until we shame them into it. And there are ways we're looking at trying to do that.
0: Right, right. That makes complete sense. And, you know, in my mind now, because there's a lot of people who have a fear of death, they have a fear of dying, they have a fear of the unknown. Um, I see... Good application for this um, if we can start applying this into different therapies for people who might be terminal um, and also, in my eyes, I would like to see this eventually, like just in the public school system um, but the thing is is it it's just not like not that many people know about this when I started finding out about afterlife phenomenon, um, I actually was like wondering i'm like why aren't people saying you know, like, why, why, why aren't we reporting this on mainstream media? Why aren't we teaching this in schools? Why is yeah. this so, why is there such a small faction of people that know about this right now? And the only thing I could come up with is that I think there might have to be some sort of spiritual reason that people don't know about this. Um, what are your thoughts on this, on why it's, it's not really widely known um, about the afterlife and where we go?
1: The primary reason is that is science. Science has been an enemy of the truth uh, for the past century. Um, I, I, I there were, there was a time until you know within the last say last fifty or sixty years, when we, the those who actually manage the planet in the non-material reality were trying to keep us from knowing because the Earth is essentially a spiritual school. We come here to learn important spiritual lessons and in order to learn them we need negativity now there's nothing more negative than being in a place where um you think you're going to die and there's you know you just that's it (laughs) it's scary to be here it's very negative to be here pushing against that is what for millennia has been what has enabled people to grow spiritually on earth. So if suddenly um, there were to be, uh, you know, Jesus on high saying, guess what, everybody, there is a heaven. You're never going to die. <laughs> yeah. It would be a lot less negative and, and that makes it a less useful school. Right. But what what has happened is that um, in the past century or so, they have been working to raise the vibration of this planet some because I think in part because of all the wars, the vibration, and and just to explain quickly what I'm talking about, uh, the only thing that exists is what we experience in a limited way as consciousness. Consciousness exists in a range of vibrations. It's an energy, basically. And the lowest vibration is abject fear and all the other bad emotions, hatred, anger. And the highest vibration is perfect love. And we we are here just to raise our vibration away from fear and toward love. The reason we can't do it in, what, in, the, in the astral plane is that there's too much love there. There's, there is no negativity. I mean, basically, they all know that their lives are forever. There's nothing to fear. If you're indestructible, there's nothing to fear. Ultimately, you're going to be fine. So here we, we're here with a limited mind. Our great eternal mind, most of it, is left behind. We have a limited mind. We don't know what's going on. And awful things are happening to us when we choose love and not fear, even in those situations, we grow rapidly, and that's why we're here. so it's been good that there was so much negativity here, but now there's too much and and in fact, it's causing a a, a, a sort of an imbalance in the planet which is very dangerous so they're working to raise the vibration of the planet and a lot of people who are who have come in since the second world war um, are in actually are here for that purpose Um, i know i am and uh, i know other people who are too we're all sort of fighting one another but we all know that the reason we're here is to do this work and that's what you know it's fascinating when when in 2010 which is only 10 years ago the of dying came out and i would be talking to groups of people and i there were a lot of blank stairs in the room nobody knew what was going on and within about five years i would be talking to people and everybody would have all their lights on it, oh, it's perfect. it's really amazing how quickly interest in the afterlife uh has has developed i know it does still seems most people don't know about it but we're 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 hitting a place where within the next five years everybody's going to know about it i really think and and but still they're not going to have jesus on high standing in a cloud saying guess what everybody (laughs) because that would be too much what they're trying to do is just soften the fear they're, they've thinned the veil so that it's easier now if people are interested in doing it, for you to work with your guide actively because we all have spirit guides. Most of us know, don't know throughout our whole lives who our guide is or what's going on, but yet the guides are helping us while our bodies sleep. Um, but it's it's happening. It is happening much more rapidly than I ever dreamed it would.
0: Right, right. And I think also people are just more receptive to it. it it's like you could... Uh, if i had tried explaining this to some people like say 10 years ago there would have been no way but right. now nowadays i can explain it to people and they're like oh yeah totally okay that's cool and, and they get it they understand it so that makes complete sense and oh my gosh you're just so full of of wisdom and knowledge about this i'm really appreciating everything you're saying here um, <laughs> and that's you, that's leading me to some other questions that i had here so if we're coming here as a sort of school so if we think about heaven is that what you call it do you call that the the that realm do you call that heaven what what's the best term you like to use describing that
1: well we we call it the astral plane the astral plane is our real home you know we're here very briefly but we're eternally in the astral plane um i don't use terms like hev- heaven soul um, um, I don't even use terms like chakra, and uh, there are a lot of uh, um, terms that people use that are based in religions. They have specific religious meanings, and they're not precise. If this is a science, and we need to use some precise terms, so we use we use words. I mean, for example, we say mind instead of soul because it used to be thought, well, there's a you have a soul, you have a spirit. Um, you know all and, and you have a mind I mean there, you have all these different pieces, but what what happens? They break up I mean it starts to what you start to wonder, who the heck am I? in fact, you are your mind that 's the only part of you that 's real, and that part is eternal and the only difference is when you come to earth, what a part of the deal you make, plus all the amnesia of forgetting about where you came from. Uh, one of the, part of the deal you make is that you strip down to the part of, it's like going to the gym. You take, you take everything off except a t-shirt and shorts so you can work out. You come in with a very stripped down, efficient part of your mind so you can learn rapidly. Oh but uh, but no, we, we don't use, we don't use terms like heaven because it's, you know, it's clouds and St. Peter and that's not us. That's not what's true.
0: Right, right. Okay. So um, let me see here. There was, okay. So. There was um, a father of the Catholic Church, I think around the year 200, his name was Father Athanasius, and he kind of coined this term here saying, God became man so that man might become God. And this is kind of what I might hear you saying here is that we come down to this school to, to learn love. Um, but what I like about Father Athanasius, the way he put that is God became man. So that man might become God, in your eyes, is that is that what's happening? Were were we once at the point of the highest level of consciousness, where we were essentially God, we were omnipotent, uh, we had all the knowledge, and we could do anything, and we were in perfect love, and then perhaps it it became boring, so we chose as God to forget all of that and divide ourselves, divide God up into different beings that come down onto the earthly realm. Uh, so that we could learn all these lessons, so we could have the experience of growth um, to kind of like re-become God. It's kind of like maybe the same concept as if you eat donuts every day, um, donuts start to taste not so good. But if you give yourself a break for a couple weeks and then you come back and you eat a donut, that donut tastes so good. Is that kind of Is that kind of the concept here?
1: No, I'm sorry, no. No. Um, Here's the thing. There is no, quote, church father who knows anything. And the reason is that they built... The the history of Christianity is that Jesus came uh, and Jesus is genuine. Jesus is from the highest aspect of the Godhead. He's much more important than just the Son of God. Jesus actually was God on earth. And that has been confirmed to us by a lot of the people we used to think were dead, um, from the highest levels. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is very, very important. So he brought us all these teachings. And then um, within 300 years, Constantine and the Romans turned it into a religion of their own design. And that's what most of the Bible is. It's based in this this false religion. It was put together in um, uh, the three what, 325, or I forgot now exactly the year, uh, the Council of, of Nicaea put together the Bible, and oh they, they included four gospels, but they even altered those. I mean, it's just it's it's tragic what happened, but Christianity is is not real. In fact, it's highly negative and bogus. But Jesus is real. So we aren't sure why we're doing this. What we do know is this. We do know that our minds are part of the same mind that continuously manifests the universe. Our minds are part of the mind of God. The Godhead is at the very highest vibration, perfect love. We are somewhere in the middle, and what we're trying to do is go from the lower vibration and grow to the higher vibration. But this is nothing about our boredom. It's nothing about... um, um, I, I, the only explanation I've ever read that made any sense comes from A Course in Miracles. I don't know if this is true. I think it's probably allegory. It's probably not really true. It's true-ish. A lot of things um, that, that they tell us are very much simplified and, and not as complex as because we, we don't, with our small mind here, it's hard for us to understand stuff right but what a course in miracles says is into the mind of the son of god came a tiny mad idea at which the son of god forgot to laugh what that means is because consciousness is by its very nature infinitely creative when the thought of the possibility of separation at eons ago came into the mind of god immediately separation happened Now, that was totally bogus. There was no need for it. And immediately God ended that and actually reached into the separated part that had begun to happen and ended it. And so we were in that separated part. We're already back with God. But in that separated part, again, this is from A Course in Miracles, and I don't know if it's true, but it's true-ish, I think. Um, In that separated part were created matter, energy, time, and space. So the space blossomed out, the time began to happen, and there we are, stuck outside of God in space and time with matter and energy, all artificial. And God, the rescue that God undertook is ongoing because again inside time it's still going on even though it ended a long time ago am i spraining your mind when i say no
0: absolutely not absolutely not yeah this is this is amazing and i am familiar with the course in miracles i was partaking in the the workbook aspect of it so i didn't read the whole book i was just kind of doing the daily exercises with it at one point so and this is the keep going keep going well
1: I mean, all I can—I I, th- this is how apparent. This is what is apparently ongoing. We are being rescued. We are, and and it appe- What what I think is the case is that the Godhead is actually a collective. I mean, Christians like to think of God as having a long beard and thunderbolts and you know smiting people and all this stuff. There is no big guy with a beard that doesn't exist. God is perfect love, the perfect love of people who actually have already been rescued from this illusion that is basically not real. And they are in the process, through their minions, our guides and all the other minions, they're in the process of rescuing us. One day, probably that rescue will end. Now, what are the things that this tells us? Number one, it tells us this is not the only Reality. This is not the only, we are not the only people. The Godhead is not the ultimate God. The Godhead is the people who are working with us to be rescued. There is a greater God. I've asked my own guide, I've said, is this true? And he has said, yes, it is true. Um, I've asked other people that are a very high vibration, and they tell me your growth will go on long after you have reached the level of the source. It never ends. It never ends, and I think that's a beautiful thought. <laughs> I mean, we grow forever. We even get to be more—you know—greater than the Godhead. Yeah, it goes on forever.
0: Right, right. That is a beautiful thing, and I completely agree. Like, you know, there's times in my life where, like, I—I I feel like I've—I've I've, like learned so much, and I've seen so many cool things. And this go, goes into every realm. Like, if I've seen cool movies. Um, I'm like, man, it can't get any cooler than this. Like I remember being a kid playing video games and I thought the video games back then, I was like, it can't get any greater than this. But yet it always gets greater. And I, th- I think that is such a beautiful thing. And it, 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 it's kind of like a marvel to look at because when you think it can't get any greater, but then it does, it just shows you the glory of God and the glory of life. Um, so I, I I couldn't agree with you more. Now I have a question about that. Uh, with the ultimate God that you're speaking of, the highest level God, why doesn't that highest level God just save us all in an instant? Then
1: I don't know. I don't. I mean, we, we're positing a greater God, but I don't know anything about that. Right. Um, I. I. It's just. It's just. We're we told to basically stick to our knitting. I mean, it's enough for us. To be working to grow spiritually, which is, a, by the way, um, it sounds like it would be drudgery. It's the greatest joy there is. Uh, one of the things that that um, we have discovered is that the teachings of Jesus, which are ignored by Christians, are actually the easiest and most effective and most enjoyable way to grow spiritually. You can do it in a very few months. It's very easy. And then continue to grow from there. It's, it's This is... Um, <laughs> To live in a material reality and distracted as we are by all the material things going on, a lot of them very negative, you, you, you get to the point in your life where you say, I've done that, I don't need that anymore. What I want is perfection, love, joy, kindness, all of the beautiful things that people are capable of. And that's what we're here to do, is to shed all the negativity and to, and to a, uh, embrace that joy. But to, to worry about or wonder about what's beyond the Godhead is very, it, it's sort of kind of productive. It distracts from the important things.
0: Right. I, I that That definitely, like what you just said there, I think is a pivotal thing for me because I've spent a lot of my life trying to understand the nature of reality. And I've constantly pondered those questions of like, you know, what we were just talking about. Like, you know, like why are we all split up and what is the ultimate God like? And it distracts me from maybe something like loving my dog, you know, like she my dog could be sitting there and I'm in deep contemplative thought, and she's just sitting there alone and it's like I could have spent that time I was trying to figure out the nature of reality, and I could have uh given her some love you know
1: um we we need to be giving all of our, uh, everyone around us love um the 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 one thing that I think um all of everybody is short of is this the fact that love is infinite i mean we there's there there are you you can love everyone and that's one of the things that you learn when you practice the teachings you can love everyone and love them all equally and it makes you very very happy a lot of things about um religion are deadly but religion has nothing to do with the teachings of jesus which make you gloriously happy
0: right right and that brings up a, a another question i have so I've I've done a lot of research on NDEs, and I, I do know, I understand what you're saying about the difference between NDEs and actual death, but um, the one thing that had come up uh, in a lot of NDEs is they're talking about the importance of loving, and and they're shown with their life reviews when they die, they see their life before their eyes, and they see all the experiences they had in which they treated others badly, and they don't just see them from their own perspective they're actually able to see them from the perspective of of the person that they hurt which means they get to feel the feelings of how that person felt when uh, they were hurt by them which is a kind of a crazy thing but they were all taught the importance of love just like you're saying Um, but when they come back they still found it very difficult to love um, and show love for people uh, closest to them, because it's just life. We have arguments, and we have stuff like that. What What are your thoughts on that? And and how can we kind of, how can we love people more and kind of put our differences aside and put our judgments aside? And how can we show people more love?
1: Well, first, remember, these people haven't actually died. Um, one of the things that will happen in some NDEs is that they will be, because the guide their guide thinks it's helpful, going to be helpful for them, they will be put through a mimic of the life review, which actually does happen after death, but this is not their genuine life review. But as you point out, in these life reviews that they have during the NDE when they're not dead, there's the same um, detail that there is in their genuine life reviews after death, which is that it's about feeling everything that happened in your life. Your whole life flashes literally but you feel all of the events from the viewpoint of the people you affected. Not just the negative things you did, but the positive things as well. So that uh, if you've been you know, kind to a lot of people, it makes you very, very happy to go through a life review because you get to feel <laughs> how you made people feel good. But there are a lot of things we do and we don't even realize that we've harmed our people or made them feel bad. And we don't even think, I mean, of course they're going to, you know, she's going to forget. I said that horrible thing about her dress. Well, it just turned out she made it. It's the first thing she ever made and you made her feel terrible and you're going to get to feel that. You see what I mean? It's a, it's a, it brings up things you didn't even really know you had done that were upsetting for people. So it's hard. Then you're told it's time to forgive yourself, which Can be very hard for some people to do, but it's essential that we do that. Um, The problem people have is number one that they think this is all real. So if someone hurts you or does something bad to you, that's real, and your natural inclination is to retaliate, to be angry. Um, We have to learn to forgive completely. One of the you know the hard part of the teachings of Jesus is learning to forgive. Absolutely. And that's hard to do. Just think about going through the day. I mean, people cut you off in traffic, you know, and, and, uh, it turns out, um, you know, your wife or husband did this or that, and now you're annoyed about that and you're annoyed about something else. It's very hard to forgive each of those things. And yet you must. And what we've, we've learned is that the best way and the only way to, to, to avoid being upset about trivial things or even big things is to retrain your mind. The reason you get upset is that this, remember I said we, talk, we come in with a limited mind which is set up for rapid learning? Right. This mind that you have here when, when you're on Earth is lazy. <laughs> it, it changes its course very easily, yep. you know, very susceptible. And it, it's it just, it, it doesn't want to be bothered with, with, it tries to respond to what you tell it to do, but if you've told it to do things and you, you don't want it to do those things, you can easily, easily retrain it. So what we do is simply to retrain our minds not to be upset about traffic, not to be upset because, you know, he dropped his clothes all over the floor again, not to be upset, oh, look at how much money she spent. we. We, we train our minds not to be upset and there's it to be a very easy process actually because um remember how lazy your mind is and how easily it will change direction if it you know can't be bothered to keep trying to show you you should be upset if you prove to it you're not upset now <laughs> so this is there there's a simple exercise you can do that really helps when you think you're going to get upset what you do is you sort of gather up everything with your hands physically into what we call a forgiveness ball, and you jump into it and you put all the people in it and you squash it down tight with your hands. And the reason you need to do it with your hands is you've got to make a show for your mind about putting it together, and and your mind is going, oh lord, now you know he's doing this again. And then you push it away once it's nice and tight, saying, "I love you, I bless you, I forgive, and I release." If you're still a little bit upset, and in the beginning you are, it takes a while before one of them does it. Just just one forgiveness ball does it. You do the whole same thing again, but your mind is being retaught that if they cut you off in traffic, it's not important. Whatever the things were that used to bug you are not important. If you do that, and I recommend people take a, set aside a month where you have plenty of time or you don't have any big events and you certainly don't have any you know, uh, holidays when you're going to have to see your Uncle Fred who always makes <laughs> you crazy. Um, but if you do this, it is amazing you stop getting angry about anything. You stop being upset about anything. So you have, basically you have, if you do this right, you have forgiven everything that ever will happen again in your life before it even happens. That's the only way to effectively forgive because it's too much trouble to first experience the negative thing and then wrestle it down and say, and try to forgive it and it's just, it's too hard. It's too hard, you can't do it. But it's easy once you have have taught yourself what we call prevenient forgiveness.
0: Right, right. So in the school of life, this is this is uh, forgiveness 101. And that's yeah, a very simple but, but thing. But it's all you
1: ever have to do. I mean, you, you don't have to even... Because the reason for forgiveness is really it's for yourself. It's not for the other person or for the car that cut you off. It's not for them. They don't care whether you forgive or not. And they may not even know if you ever forgive. But it's to get out of your mind all the negativity that all this turmoil this negative stuff causes because it insulates you from it it's as if there are levers on the outside of you that the world can fiddle with and make you crazy and those levers get disconnected they still fiddle but they don't hit you on the inside at all it's astonishing my, my book called the fun of growing forever explains how all of this
0: works uh, okay awesome that's a good that's a good um i'm gonna have to look into your books because i've been listening to your show seek reality and uh-huh. that show is absolutely amazing, Roberta. You you've really done a, a tremendous job with that. <laughs> it's very you. very enjoyable. It, it makes my day uh, go by a little bit better. I'm able to learn some more things, and you have quite a bit um, of shows on there. So there's an ample amount of people, or uh, there's an ample amount of uh, shows for people to uh, learn from. Learn from you if they go check out your show, Seek Reality.
1: Yeah, seven um, seven times fifty two. <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing is, it's really my guests. My guests have been wonderful. And um, what I try to find the best people who to teach so that every time you listen to the program, you, you learn something new and you have other people that you can, you know, also read their books, follow, uh, explore. There are very good spiritual teachers now who make it joyous to be learning more about what's really going on.
0: Right, right. So now if I think about, forgiveness and everything you're saying so obviously we we have to there, there comes I guess times in life where maybe somebody is is physically abusive or something like that where it's not just about forgiving that person and allowing them to uh, you know take advantage of you and continue to abuse you you have to be able to get yourself to to safety and then forgive that person from afar um, so everything you're saying is is tremendous with that um, I do have some questions though because if we're thinking about how we come here mainly to learn love correct so yes. in, in my mind i see people like mother Teresa, and then i i look at my life compared to somebody like mother Teresa, and I, I i start to wonder i'm like i know we're here to learn to love um and i have this thought that i should just like give everything up and i should just start opening doors for people and being nice to every everybody that i can and um and trying to to be almost like more of a mother, Teresa, um but yet I still am not able to reconcile that with my own joys and my own love for self because if I were to love myself truly, I would have to honor myself and I would have to honor my passions and the things I'm passionate about, um like playing music and stuff like that. But how do we reconcile um learning to love but also not just others but ourself
1: well, you. Now, first understand, everybody comes in with a life plan. We all have things we have planned into our lives, which, are, which include lessons that we want to learn, so negative things that will happen, but also um, things we want to achieve for other people. But you can love... And still live, be living your normal life. You just love it with kindness and with with awareness of other people's concerns. You, you know, maybe if if you want to play music, you find um, places where just a disadvantaged children or poor people or something can can come and hear you play. That's it, you don't do that all the time, but you would do that, I mean, maybe at a, at a gathering house or something, I don't know, uh, or teaching children how to play the, the instrument that you can play or how to sing. I mean, there are ways, whatever it is you're doing with your life, there are ways for you to further enrich your own life by sharing with other people and showing kindness to other people. But I mean, for example, um, there, there was a woman um, in the who died early, very early in the twentieth century, and i, I uh, someone who had just died as well was complaining to his family, not complaining but saying, "Oh, I really missed the boat they, they just had this tremendous parade for this woman. she was so celebrated, and i had i mean, I had no idea how important what she was doing really was i mean it just, just she's just some woman." Jesus says in the Bible, let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing when you give. In other words, you give in secret. So this woman, this some woman, who nameless woman who died 100 plus years ago, when she made a point every day of her adult life of doing something, some kind thing for somebody and, make it, and do it in secret it was it was like you know she would just leave a surprise for someone or she would she would do something for I don't know all the details of what she did because he didn't know. and And that's the only way we know about this this woman. But it, there there's a lot of celebrating that goes on when we first get back the, to the afterlife um, or to really to real life. And <laughs> if you really have had remarkable life, they give you a parade. This woman apparently got the biggest parade almost in history. because she had been kind I mean she still lived her life she didn't she wasn't she didn't have to become Mother Teresa all she had to do was be kind
0: and that's it that is amazing Roberta and that that does give give me so much inspiration because when I do something kind for somebody else there's almost no better feeling and especially if it's something that that that's not known and yeah, I can get 100% behind that. And that's so amazing that you shared that. Um, since you, can you talk about the Bible a little bit? I know you're saying Christianity. Is there a difference between Christianity and the Bible itself? Um,
1: Here's the thing about the Bible. It was assembled in the in year 325 by the Council of Nicaea. That was the first, I mean, it was worked on by, uh, I think there were nine councils in the first thousand years and in, in over, you know, every few hundred years. But what they did was to decide, first they said, we are being inspired by God. Well, you know, that plus uh, 10 cents will get you nothing. Um, they, they clearly were not being inspired by God. It was not written by God. They put together um, the Jewish um, uh, writings, the Law and the Prophets, and they then added four of the Gospels And the Gospels that they added, they edited. They took out everything that they could find about reincarnation. They didn't get it all, but they got most of it. And they added to it church-building stuff toward the back of most, I think it's all the Gospels, or certainly the the, uh, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They added um, some books which talk about Armageddon and um, church-building and sheep and goats. Some people are going to go to heaven and some are going to go to hell. Jesus didn't say any of that stuff because it's not true. What he said is in the is, is is in the books that are true. And then after that, they put in all the, the, the a lot of letters of Paul to the early churches. Again, Paul was a really nice guy, but Paul was not Jesus. So what they've done is to bury the, the, the teachings of Jesus in those that are in those four books, those four canonical gospels. In in the Old Testament. And then and with the letters of Paul. So the Bible by itself is just a, a religious construct. It's not all true. It just isn't. And, and um, Jesus himself tells us that that's the case. Jesus tells us to, in the beginning, for example, um, wh- why do I say that the Old Testament should be thrown away? Because Jesus says it should. Take your scissors, cut it out of your Bible, the whole Old Testament. Why? Someone asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he didn't name any of the Ten Commandments. He didn't name anything in the Old Testament. Instead, what he said was, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Then he said an important sentence that the church don't, churches don't mention. He said, in that consists all the law and the prophets." The law and the prophets was what the Jews of his day called the whole Old Testament. So what he was saying was all those words in the Old Testament all can be boiled down to love God and love your fellow man, which means throw away all those culturally influenced old testament stories throw away the rule about you know if a man sleeps with another man you have to put them to death throw away the rule that says if a woman is not a virgin on her wedding night she'll be stoned to death at her at the doorstep of her father's house throw away all that crap which is cultural and which is outmoded because the law of love is all that matters now no christian understands this Um, it's tragic that they don't read the Bible. They don't read the Gospels, that's for sure. Um, What's something else? You know, everyone thinks that Jesus had to die for our our sins because God will judge us. But Jesus is right in the the Gospels. He says, God does not judge us. He has given all judgment to the Son so they will honor the Son as they honor the Father. So he says, okay, that Jesus is the judge, right? So then in the same book, this is in the book of John, I believe, in the same book, like in the next chapter, he says, and as for me, I judge no one. I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. So nobody judges us. There's no religious figure who judges us. That turns out also to be true.
0: Right. And Um, you see that prevalent in uh, near-death experiencers, uh, what they say when they go and they say there was no judgment except for by themselves.
1: That's right. That's true. That's absolutely true. Again, they didn't actually go to where the dead are. They didn't go through an actual judgment uh, of the dead. But there much of what happens in typical NDEs is is a mimic of what happens after death.
0: Correct. Correct. Okay. And that makes, you know, when you're talking about that to love God with all of your heart and then to love uh your fellow man as yourself, um, that basically almost sums up the Bible. And I did hear exactly what you said. Um, from one other person in my life. And it's actually one of my favorite spiritual teachers. His name is Neville Goddard. And um, he does talk about that, about how Jesus did say that, how that is the absolute number one commandment in the entire Bible. So it's like we can, in a sense, almost do without all of the rest. Just follow those principles and you will be good with yourself. You'll be good with your fellow man and you'll for sure be good with God.
1: The problem is that Christians... Um, Christianity is deeply fear-based, um, you, uh, all religions actually are fear-based, I don't know of one that is not, um, they, they basically have to instill a fear of God, in you remember, good God-fearing man, um, all of that, that, by the way, that reference to being a God-fearing person, um, it appears in the Bible only in a, in a uh, statement by um, Mary. And not from Jesus, and it's absolutely to be to fear God is the opposite of loving god the you can't you can't love what you also fear but be, but because they want us to be fearful the the, the churches very early on um, uh, came up with and emphasized. The, uh, the notion that Jesus had to die for our sins. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. That's not why he went through all the trouble of figuring out how to reanimate a dead body. He did do all of that. That's all real. But it was for a different purpose. It had nothing to do... Think of how, what an insult that is to a perfectly loving God. That, that you know, he can't forgive you unless he gets to enjoy watching Jesus be murdered. What kind of
0: nonsense <laughs> is that? I know. <sighs> Yeah, I, I completely agree, and that you're making this make so much sense to me because I grew up as a Catholic, um, so I was actually an altar boy at church and stuff, and a lot of the things in you know that that typical story just didn't quite make sense to me. And you're actually starting to make this make sense for me. Um, so I thank you so much for this. So, so you're saying Jesus did die for all of that? Um, no, he,
1: he didn't die for our sins he didn't need to
0: but he did die on the cross cross.
1: He, uh, yes i'm confident he did and i think the uh the shroud of turin and the face cloth which is in spain somewhere are actual are the actual uh, artifacts of that event there are a lot of a lot of indications that they probably are
0: right right right. okay so if we have um i was thinking about the the our father prayer if we're going to be talking about the bible right now um, the end of the prayer says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you thought about that statement a lot and in, in what it's saying? Um, it had just occurred to me, you know, probably within the past five years or so, that is this saying that earth will become some sort of heaven?
1: If we do what we're supposed to do, yes. Start at the beginning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus talked of, talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. I think that's just a mistranslation. That's what they call it in Matthew. He talks about it, what, 50 times or something in the Gospels. That's what he mainly talks about is the kingdom of God. What is he talking about? Well, the kingdom of God is apparently the, the top level of the afterlife, just below the Godhead where there is love, joy, perfect happiness. It's impossible to imagine any negativity. The people there are preparing, actually, to to join the Godhead. And he came to tell us that if we will follow his teachings, we can bring the kingdom of God on earth. That's what he came to do. So, yes, if we will follow his teachings, we can bring the kingdom of God on earth. It's, It's in the Gospels. Black and white, or maybe red and white, if you're reading a red letter <laughs> gospel. But but that's that's it it's not even gray. That's exactly what he came
0: to do. So do you think this is something that can be done in our lifetimes?
1: No, it's gonna take longer, but we can make it a, a material bit of progress to it in all we have to do. The reason it matters so much that each of us grow spiritually is that because we are all part of that one mind of God. Um, and there are many people who are lowering it. You know, I mean, there are a lot of awful people, people who are just very misguided and and evil and negative. But because we're all one mind, they're dragging human human consciousness down now. But if if even ten percent of the people on Earth were were trying very hard to raise their own vibrations, it would it would have, would raise everybody's vibrations as well. It doesn't take everybody on Earth. In other words. To, to, to make this, this leap of um, uh, this elevation of consciousness. It just takes enough people to begin to move all of human consciousness Higher, more toward love. Because then everybody, everybody, no matter what, I mean, the Taliban will suddenly find themselves petting puppies. They won't know why. They'll (laughs) be a lot nicer and happier. You know what I mean? You you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's, it's a very benevolent cycle, which can then continue to the point where we bring the kingdom of God on earth. Nothing but love, beauty, joy. And it can happen, I think, within a couple of hundred years if we will just all do our part.
0: Right. And I think I heard what you were talking about uh, with the 10%. Um, I heard something like that from David R. Hawkins, Dr. David R. Hawkins. He was talking about, he has, I guess he coined the famous uh, map of consciousness. Uh, Are you familiar?
1: No, I mean, I I teach very simple stuff. I, I have no idea why anyone would want to map consciousness, but that's, you know, he can, whatever he wants to do.
0: Right, right. And when he was alive, uh, he basically had that map and it's just a, a scale of one to a thousand, thousand being like kind of uh, almost like the Godhead uh, per se. And he was saying the same thing that if if there's a certain, if there's 10% of the people on the planet that are above level 700 on the map of consciousness, they've raised their vibration enough um, that the rest of the planet will have peace. So essentially his map of consciousness is just a way to go from anger uh, and some of the lower emotions and the lower vibrations. Um, He teaches through his books how to raise your vibration in that way. Um, But what ways do you uh, think are the best ways that we can raise our vibrations?
1: Well, I think the beginning, the, the, the first thing you do is get rid of all the negative stimuli. I haven't watched any TV for 20 years. I don't go to movies. Um I have seen some movies that other people have recommended to me but they have no negativity in them. No playing video games. Don't do anything that puts negativity into your consciousness because that's like, you know, pouring sewage into it. Right. That's number 1. Um don't read anything negative. Um don't read the newspaper or 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 uh anything on the internet that is negative. Now it's very hard with all that's going on um, especially this year, because <laughs> yeah. everything is negative. But what you can do is simply not. If you can't change it, there's no point in studying it. There's no point in even knowing about it. I, what I have found, is that no longer watching TV twenty years ago and up until today, I, it made me very happy. I've got back a lot of time, and I don't haven't missed it a bit. Right. That's the first thing. The first thing you do is stop get stop pouring more sewage into your mind. And the second thing you do is concentrate on forgiveness. I mean, if things are bothering you, or, then they are actually weighing you down. If something is upsetting you, it is creating negativity in your mind. You gotta get rid of that. So you 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 learn provenient forgiveness and it's permanent. It really never you never get bothered again. I it took me about six to eight weeks. Of, of being really rigid with using forgiveness balls. I've never had to make one since, and it's been almost 10 years. And I've never been angry since, never once, no matter what. Wow. And I never had to resist being. It does. It's amazing how well it works. It's really weird, actually, how well it works. That's the second thing. The third thing, and and then you naturally start loving anyway. You you find. I mean, I first noticed that suddenly I was caring about the people on the street for the first time, which was strange. But you concentrate on on loving people um, and doing for people in ways that feel good to you. I mean, you'll be drawn to doing those things anyway. If there's anybody who's negative in your life, and some are, as you pointed out, um, you withdraw from them. You don't. You don't get angry. You never. You don't have to tell them why you're withdrawing. If it's a marriage, you may need to. You may need to get a divorce. Um, if you have children with a negative person, you do everything you can to keep that negative person at a stable, happy level. But if the person lashes out at you, you don't lash out back. You don't fight. You don't, you never fight with anybody, not ever again. Um, and this is a very self-reinforcing process. So, uh, you, you, you start there pretty quickly to, to, to know what you yourself feel the need to do and want to do, but it, it just gets better and better really.
0: Right. Right. And there's room for creativity in, in that, uh, in, in trying to raise your vibration. Um, yeah. that, that is amazing. Okay. So, um, I had one thing that I was going to say, but I just lost my train of thought in uh... (laughs) this is such an amazing conversation, Roberta. I'm so pleased to have you on my show and as especially as my first guest, I think you are the absolute perfect person to have as the first guest on my podcast because your energy is just so kind. And obviously everything you're saying about how you're practicing forgiveness and you've been doing this for 20 years and you haven't gotten angry in 20 years. I can feel that from your energy just talking to you, and I can hear it in your voice. Your voice is very soothing. Um, and that's also why I love listening to your show. Um, so I, I wanna thank you so much for that. And I guess in that little spiel of everything I just said to you, I remembered what I was gonna say. So um, <laughs> yeah, how do we how do we deal with um, fear? Because the one thing that has come up for me um, after studying NDEs, and I know, once we go back to our home, which is in the astral plane, once we die, um, it's completely beautiful there. And I've heard you describe this. There's the different levels of the astral plane and our home, which is where we go. And it's a very, very beautiful place where we all just essentially love each other and we can spend time um, enjoying different like hobbies and stuff. And it's, it's just honestly, it sounds like a place I want to be right now compared to where I'm actually already where where I already am. Um, but one thing that has come up for me is, I know it's all good over there when I die, and it's going to be fine, but is a fear of the death process, um, of the pain of death. Because oftentimes when people die, it's not just like dying in your sleep. You know, you have something very painful occur. It could be a, a tragic illness, you get hit by a car. Um, how how do, how do we deal with the fear, with just fear itself, and then also fear of pain, um, in the death process, and just fear of pain in general.
1: Um, well, understand that the way that you die, you're number one. You 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 have chosen before you were born, two or three exit points that your higher consciousness could take when you had learned all that you could hear, and, and many kinds of death are specifically chosen uh, as as growth experiences. Um, For example, Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Who, uh, if you you should read what she she's just it was an extraordinary. I admire her so much. Um, She's she was someone who helped with um, people die with death. Trying to think of all the details of her life now. There are so many people that that we teach. Um, She did not believe in an afterlife, and yet she was helping children die. I cannot imagine. A more strange thing than that but that's what she was doing and she gradually came to understand that there actually is an afterlife uh, it was because these things kept happening she couldn't otherwise explain and she became quite spiritual but um, she developed cancer at the end of her life and she railed at God I know where I'm going. I don't. I'm sick of this. I don't want to be sick anymore. I yeah. can't stand it. I want to go home. And she was apparently extremely cranky with God that she couldn't just leave. After she would, she died. She spoke with her children, and her children reported that she told them that the most important thing about that lifetime had been the the growth she has achieved during her her terminal cancer period. Wow. So. You know, I mean, we don't know what we're going to learn and grow from that, uh, from from whatever you know is is a reason we're going to die. We we can't dismiss out of our hand the the notion that pain may be helpful to us. Right. Um, if if there's terminal pain, for example, if someone is in an auto crash, and um, uh, and they're going to die in that auto crash, they're always. Out of the body before the pain happens. Always, um, they they people who have died in a in a terminal crash tell us that repeatedly. I saw it from above. I didn't even I didn't even see. It. I, right. I certainly was was not feeling anything. Um, people who die under torture, same thing. Um, they they witness. If if you're going to die anyway, they take you out of your body, and it seems that your body that you are still alive, but in fact you are not in the body that's suffering
0: right so we we essentially we choose whether or not we're going to have something kind of painful like an illness or something as a means to grow um and if not if we can uh grow in other ways uh besides like through an illness um then when we die if we have some sort of tragic thing happen to us we're essentially taken out of the body before we have the pain that's that's Mm -hmm. a good point for people to 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 keep in mind um
1: You should know, too, that um, um, when you are in the process, in the active process of dying, you, you also go past the pain. A lot of people who had been in so much pain they needed sedation, um, uh, for example, one man uh, said that he really wanted to experience what it was like to die, and he knew that he needed sedation, or he'd be screaming, but he he decided he would not have the sedation, and he said, I didn't even experience any pain after they took away the sedation um, during that last terminal period, say the last day or two before his death. Um, people be, People seem to be much healthier, and that's one of the signs death is about to happen. Death is a wonderful experience. I called the, my book about death, The Fun of Dying, um, because it actually is a lot of fun. Um, you have to get rid of the fear, but the fear is, again, of an illusion, and you're worrying about things that are not real.
0: Right, right. So is that something we can apply to just fear in general, like fear of being able to pay your bills, fear of uh, relationships working out? That everything here is just an illusion. Do we need to actively try to get rid of fear and anxiety in our lives? Is that something where, you know, like a lot of people will th- like, they like to think of the worst case scenario all the time as a means to plan ahead? Um, how, what, I to what tell do you tell you to that? something
1: very important about fear fear of death is the base fear. That's the core fear that everybody has. And even paying your bills, all of those are part of the fear of death. It's fear of losing control, fear of, of, of having everything you love or value end, fear of death. When you no longer fear death, when you have learned enough about what actually happens that the fear of death truly goes away, you no longer fear anything.
0: Wow. Wow! Anything. Wow! You, you
1: don't worry about the bills. I mean, they get paid. You, you You're not opting out of living, but you certainly want to opt out of being afraid.
0: Right, right, right. And w- what are some ways we can do that? Is it just knowledge of the afterlife itself, and like you know, listening to a podcast like this, and kind of just becoming aware of that? Is that one of the ways that we can get rid of that fear, uh, or? How do we ultimately get rid of that fear? Because I know about the afterlife, and I still have some fear, and I still have some anxiety. Um, Keep
1: studying. Keep studying. It t- it takes a while to get rid of the fear. Um, you, you you do. You read. You listen to podcasts. Um, you 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 pray. If you're a person who prays, you don't have to pray. But what 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 did it for me? Um, actually, was reading hundreds of those early twentieth, late nineteenth century accounts from people who had died and were speaking through a deep trance medium. They were all clearly, they'd all clearly been in the same place. And when I when I realized that it was impossible for that not to be real, that's what made me stop fearing death. And it took probably it took about four or five years for me to get to that point. But I one day I realized it's impossible for this not to be real. Of course Life is eternal. And then you go down that road farther and you learn about spiritual matters and you learn about also, we've worked out um, a lot of the, of the physics of the afterlife, how it works, why it works. That's something we could only do within the last, say, 15 years. But the more you learn, the more certain you become of this rock solid place that you're going to go and it's impossible for you to die. When you get there, and it could take you years to get there I, I try to, I try to teach people in ways that will bring them there in about two years, but it t- and for some people it t- it's harder than others to get there. But when you really get there, you don't hear anything ever again.
0: Wow, wow! And this this is a perfect, I think, segue into maybe the final thing that we could discuss. Uh, I want to end this podcast on the most happy note that uh, we could, and I think the best way uh, to do that is maybe just to hear you describe a little bit about the astral plane, our divine home, where we go um, after after we die and we pass on.
1: What's important to remember is that the only thing that exists is consciousness. What we experience in a dim way is consciousness. And it exists in you know, a range of vibrations from the lowest to the highest. We think the material universe is at or we're very close to the lowest vibration matter is um, the highest of course is the godhead but the astral plane is most of that the astral plane um, we think is dark matter and energy now if you if you look at what um, the scientists say um, dark matter and energy make up more than 95 percent. <laughs> Of what they know is real, especially the dark matter, which is about 28%. So, you know, the the universe is 5%. Uh, the dark matter is 28%. Probably that's about the proportion. So it's much bigger than the universe.
0: Right.
1: And it's all in the same place. We are. There is no such thing as. It's not like a layer cake. It's not like um, uh, uh. The universe seems big. It's not big. Because once we get past the material universe, we can go anywhere we want in an instant. All travel is by mind. So when when people slip out of their bodies in a near-death experience, for example, they they enter the astral plane very easily because it's right in the same place. Their vibration is just a little bit higher and they find a whole new solid reality around them. And the astral plane is in um, layers of vibration just as the afterlife is. It is full of love. It is so, it, that's the thing most near NDE experiencers talk about the most, it's very loving. And it's also full of fun things to do. I mean, you it, just think about if you could just decide to maybe go to uh, Egypt and you wanna be there right now. You think you're there and you're immediately there. Well, that you can go to the end of the universe that way because all travel is by mind, there is no distance think in terms of a, of a dream or something um, it it seems big maybe but it's not right it's all happening inside your mind that the same thing is true of the astral plane it's extremely beautiful there are in the afterlife which is what people mostly talk about when they're communicating with us for example um, every there, there are everything is green and beautiful but there also are other colors i mean you can go to places if you want to where all the grass is red because of course you don't need chlorophyll things can look however you want them to look there are gigantic flowers they talk about this a lot beautiful flowers and colors never seen on earth because of course they're beyond the visible light spectrum and they they're they're alive but they're also in some way conscious they'll you know you, you put your face into this giant bloom of Flower that is as tall as you are, and you can breathe in this—not just a scent, but this beautiful energy from it. The water there, as Jesus told us, is living water. There are there are lakes, there are oceans, and by the way, you can do swimming and you can do uh, boating and all the everything you want to do, and everything is powered by your mind. So you don't—it's there. There's no engine noise and there's no exhaust, but. For example the water when you walk into it it feels like silk and it's dry you can walk into it fully clothed walk out of it dry but it gives off a beautiful music sort of subtle music and and a lovely scent and it's full of energy so you walk out of it and you're energized you don't need to eat people you can eat if you want to but we have no internal organs so we don't eat there everybody is young everybody is beautiful you could we typically want to look the way we looked when we were 25 or 30 in our most recent lifetime, but you can look any way you want to look. Maybe you had a great um, uh, past lifetime as uh, an Egyptian queen and you want to look like that. You can, you can do whatever you want to do.
0: And will your family members still recognize you even if you take that form?
1: Yes. We recognize uh, other people by their energy. Wow. So um, higher level people often don't even bother to wear a body. They just look like orbs of light um Mikey Morgan whose book I recommend to everybody it's called Flying High in Spirit uh he's a sixth level being so he he spends time at the very very highest level but he also loves to snowboard um so he he comes down to the third level to snowboard and uh he he appeared once at a at a meeting i was having with my guides he came, he just came to be part of the meeting and he was just shim, shimmer, shimmering on a snowboard and who, by the way, didn't have to be dressed up in winter clothes because it's this, the snow there is not cold, unless you want it to be cold. <laughs> um, and, and But he would then, then he would be a blue orb, and then he would be uh, this, this kid on a, and then he would be a blue orb again. That's the kind of thing that happens there. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And there is nothing to be afraid of. It is all in the love and light of God. In fact, it's much brighter there than it is here, but there is no sun. Their darkness doesn't fall unless you want it. You can have it, but most people don't bother. And it's always, you know, like it feels like it's maybe 70, 75 degrees. It's always a perfect, perfect temperature, but there are no shadows because there's no sun. Instead, there's always this beautiful white light, which is the love of God. Think about that. Isn't that amazing and wonderful? But it's all true.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you describe this as a vacation ride. Place that and I could spend yeah. money on this, I I would sign me up, you know, because uh
1: yeah, I know
0: I like, I I know. like to it's I such like a
1: happy s- place. Right,
0: right. And, and suppose
1: I- you always wanted to learn to play the piano, you've got this much better mind, and Mozart will teach you. I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens there. It is such a happy, happy place. You want to learn to paint from Picasso or Michelangelo? Apparently, they give lessons. Now, you want to go in? You want to hear the Beatles play Well, the ones that are already there. They, the, there are giant amphitheaters where everybody feels like they're in the middle of the front row, although of course it's full of all these people. And these the, the performers that we loved on Earth, especially Elvis. He seems to be always performing. You can go to early, medium, or late Elvis performances, and um, they, the music they say. Is so much better because you you can hear much better there than you can hear, um, and it 's called mind hearing. You can see much better there um, some Some fellow who had uh, been almost blind when he talked first to his family after his death. Um, they said, can you see better? He said, I'll tell you all I can see uh, uh, About 50 miles looks like from here. There are these the Rocky Mountains that that turns out to be part of the afterlife for people who are in dying in North America and the snow-capped mountains and then between you know be- Before you get to the mountains there are these foothills are covered with beautiful green trees and I'm looking at that and you know 50 50 40 miles away And I can see every leaf on every tree on each mountain. That's how good our sight is there. And it's almost 360 degrees.
0: Right. And that is something that people report in NDEs quite frequently is that they have 360 degree vision, which seems so strange to us because it's like we're so used to seeing only what we see. So I can't even imagine what it's like to see around me, all around me in almost like a sphere, a sphere. I can't imagine what that's like to see like that at one time.
1: It's called mind sight. Basically, you don't use eyes. You use your mind. And that's why you can, you know, that's why it works that way.
0: Right, right. It's almost like the panorama uh, um, thing on our phone where we like, if we want to take a picture of a panorama, it's like we almost have that ability, I guess, in the afterlife is to see that way.
1: It's amazing. I'm just giving you a little taste. You just want a little taste. I'm giving you a little taste.
0: Right, right. And they, they, is...
1: The people there are all happy. Even if you weren't happy here, you're very happy there. And everybody loves everybody else. And there are no tensions and no angers and nothing but love and joy. And everybody knows that that, that we want to grow spiritually. We're here we're not, we don't understand that. Everybody craves spiritual growth. The, the people from the very highest levels come down and teach in the afterlife, the lower afterlife levels, and people are eager to learn from them. You can sit at Jesus' feet. It's just, it's just the best. Everything is the best. It's wonderful.
0: And do we start to plan our lives when we're there to our next life?
1: Usually, what happens is we get there and we live in a family compound until everybody we knew um, on, uh, you know, when we were here um, has graduated. Uh, for example, my family um, lives on my great uh, on my grandfather's dairy farm, which is apparently on the edge of the ocean. He was born in Denmark, and um, and all apparently all the cows he loved are there still, and horses and um, and they and so his descendants have houses all around the the dairy farm, and with, but what will happen is that when everybody that they knew that my grandparents knew. Um, have graduated. There's no time there, literally no time. So uh, you could can, can be there forever, theoretically. But in point of fact, most people start to get bored a little bit with being so happy and they want to come back. They, we forget how bad it is here. So we <laughs> want to come back and and grow spiritually. Yeah. We feel very powerful. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to have my, fa- my family all die in a house fire. I don't care because I'll uh, grow from that.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, I could totally see that being the case, and I feel like that's exactly what happened to me before this lifetime. I feel like I was up there, and then I was like, you know what, it's no problem down there. I can handle anything, and then I come down right. here, and I'm like, oh, my God, right. what did I sign up for?
1: <laughs> you wonder why babies cry. Yeah, because when they get back here and they realize just how bad it is, they think, "Oh no, I signed up for this! I can't believe it."
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's
1: true. true. I'm sure that's why they cry
0: so much. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. So this is such a blessing to have you today, Roberta. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come out and be my first guest. Um, You are such a wonderful person, and. If you want to let uh, any of the listeners know uh, about how to get a hold of you, obviously we mentioned your Seek Reality show, which I think is available on on most podcast uh, streaming services. Um, you have uh, a few books that people can also uh, check out, and you also have your website. Um, and if there's anything else you want to let any of the listeners know right now, how to get a hold of you, or just anything else in general, feel free.
1: Well, my, my website is robertagrimes.com. All my books are mentioned there. Um, they're all available. You can order them through bookstores, but uh, it's probably easiest just to get them at Amazon. Um, you can contact me through the contact block on robertagrimes.com. There's a green contact block. I answer emails. It can take me days sometimes to get back to you. I used to be able to say, if you don't hear in 24 hours, send flowers, but... Um, it could take a few days now because I get so many emails, but I do answer all my emails. <laughs> As you know. Yeah. Joey. Yes, yes. Um but but um but I'm happy to hear from people. And my, my whole job in life and joy is teaching people these things. So if anyone who wants to know these things, I will help them know them. Um we're 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 working on coming up with a with a uh, uh a platform which will allow us to just teach these things uh, on the internet very efficiently i believe it'll be available uh, sometime in 2021
0: wow wow
1: it should be called seek reality online i believe that's what we're going to call it
0: okay that's amazing i'm excited for that and i can people subscribe do you have like a newsletter or something that people can subscribe to where they'll they'll get all the news and updates Mm -hmm. and information on that
1: if you, yeah, if if you subscribe, um, yeah, you. Get, I think it's. I don't remember which what the color of the block is, but there's a block there too that will let you get my my emails. Um, every Sunday morning, there's a new blog post, and we get a lot of comments now. A lot of I I get a lot of emails about my blog posts because what I'm trying to do is in segments teach people all of that, this stuff there. So you know, if, if you read my, my blog post going back a while, the you can get all of this again in a different form. Um, but I try to make them entertaining and they're all true. Awesome.
0: awesome. So there's that too. Awesome. Well, Roberta, thank you so, so much again. And uh, maybe we might have to do another episode uh, on another day because uh, you're just so full of information and I know I'm going to have more questions <laughs> pop up after this. So
1: Okay. Well, let's plan that. We'll keep in touch, Joey.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And uh, again, much appreciation. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon.
1: Thank you. Consider yourself hugged.
0: Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. We'll talk to you later.
1: Bye Bye.
0: All right. Bye.